What's up, guys? Welcome back to the WRPF podcast. I'm your host, Alex Uslar. Episode 41. This week, I have Jen Hazard. All right. You guys may, may not have heard of her. She is the all-time world record deadlift holder in the 132 class. Ranked 19th all-time in all weight classes for females. Number four all-time in 132. A very legendary class. Um, she's a mom. She's a chemistry teacher, right? She made some time before her her classes today to hop on and tell us her story. Thanks for hopping on, Jen, and it's nice to meet you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you, too. So super excited to hear how and where you got into powerlifting, because according to Open Powerlifting, you didn't start competing until you were 30, right? So that was in 2015. Before that, what the hell was Jen doing? Take me through your history, whether it was high school, college, becoming <clears throat> a chemistry teacher, finding powerlifting. Let's start from the beginning. Um, so I was not an athletic kid at all. Um, I like participated in soccer a little bit, but um, never uh, sports were not my thing. I actually was like a big um, band nerd. I played the trumpet. I was president of the band. Um, when I went to college, I you know, didn't want to gain the freshman 15 or whatever. And, um, like would go to the gym a little bit, but I got into running. And so I, um, started like just a little bit on the treadmill. I signed up for a 5k race, maybe like a year after like my sophomore year of college. Um, and really loved that. And I ran for a really long time. I did, um, nine full marathons, I couldn't even tell you how many half marathons, but I used to just run. I was just the girl that would be running everywhere. I used to, there was a point I would do like 50 to a hundred miles a week running. Um, and it got to the point, um, like after I had my son, actually, when I had my son, I would get up at like three o'clock in the morning, um, you know, give him his like night feed or whatever. Then I'd get dressed. I'd go out and run in the dark and I live in upstate New York. So like in the winter, it's so it's cold. I don't even know how I did it. Um, but I would run early in the morning, get him ready. I'd go to work and it just started to get like kind of lonely, the running. Cause, um, not a lot of people could do that with me. And even in the afternoon when I would run, um, try to get friends to go or something, they'd be like, ah, I can't run. I don't want to run as far as you run or whatever. Um, so one day at the gym, I was on the treadmill and, um, a friend of mine, like an acquaintance said, why don't you come off the treadmill and try this thing back here? Um, and it was a deadlift bar and he had like, I think it was loaded with like uh 95 pounds. Like it had like two 25 pound bumpers on it. Um, and he's like, pick that up. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he showed me like the difference, but he actually had me do this thing where he put a quarter on the ground and had me pick it up. And by the way that I picked it up, determined if I would be conventional or sumo, which I had no idea what that meant, but I picked it up and apparently I was conventional. So he's like, okay, now pick this up, showed me, picked it up. So he would keep putting weight on. And at this time, I probably weighed about 105 pounds soaking wet. And that very first day I deadlifted 215. And he was like, you need to do this because uh, that's double your body weight and you've never even done it before. So um, I actually didn't have social media at the time. Um, I had Facebook, but like powerlifting isn't really that big on Facebook. It's more like Instagram, you know. I had no idea who all anybody was. Um, I didn't know any. I signed up for my first powerlifting meet, which was a push-pull on a piece of paper that I mailed in. So like, I was just going to try this new thing. I knew nothing about it. 
Um, and I actually yeah, feel that like was, that was actually most powerlifting meets also the mailing in of things. I remember seeing yeah. that all the time around that same, that same time. Yeah. So and technology um, it already came so far, but powerlifting was still very kind of niche. And yeah, yes. I remember seeing that too down here. Yeah. And it, and it was like, um, you know, it was like the, the land of like misfit toys, this sport, it was like a lot of, um, you know, no powerlifters are completely normal. I mean, the things that we do to, to, to participate in this activity is a little, it's a little kooky, but, um, I mean, my best friends that I consider my family are power lifters. So I, I obviously love weirdos. Right. Um, but back then it was like, uh, it wasn't as, um, uh, what's, what's the word polished, like powerlifting has like oh, a yeah. polished side and there's a lot of like, um, you know, uh, beautiful people that power lift. It's not just like big hairy men that like bash their head on the squat bar and they do their lifts like bleeding down the face anymore. Like it was at certain points in time. Right. Um, oh, Andrew house is keeping that alive. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so, and then now I know who that is because now I have social media. So I like learned all who people were and got really into the history of it. And I just kept, I just kept it up. I kept, um, you know, working on my, on my lifts. I did actually have, uh, I have a coach now, um, but historically through my whole career, I had never had a coach except I had a brief um, point in time where I had a coach before my first time I went to the Arnold when I was still in the 114 class. But I've always just really been into reading, watching videos, learning things um, myself to get where I have been up until recently. I started working with a coach in, I think late August of, of this year to get ready for, um, for your meet. So, um, so that's, that's it. That's how I got into it. Um, I did try to run still, uh, when I first got into powerlifting, but I learned really quickly that it's too difficult to do, but I know some people can, but for me, I couldn't be good. So you don't hear of very many high, high level powerlifters who came primarily from strictly a running background. You know, Steffi Cohen, she did a lot of marathons and a lot of running. She went from soccer to running, then CrossFit and powerlifting, but still soccer first as a base. But running and finding that later in life, it's it's funny because it's such polar opposite. But well, from what I do know from runners is running is very, very, very addictive. And the runners that I do know that I have met, they're like, they, they'll die if they can't run right no matter yeah, I, the weather, no matter anything if you told me back then like there's going to be a point in time where you're just going to lift weights you're not going to run anymore I would have thought that you were nuts you know what I mean and I I I did love it but the lonely like so like powerlifting is so much more social right like I have a team that like we train in my buddy's garage three nights a week we travel together like even at the commercial gym where I do my accessories like I love going there and seeing everybody and that it's just it's better for me mentally to do that. And I find so many people find that for the gym, powerlifting gym, whatever it is, is it also can be a social outlet when you have kids and you have a career when you have whatever it is. And I know they have like run clubs, this, that, and the other, but at the end of the day, there's not much socializing you do when you're running for an hour and a half straight. You're not gonna stop and have a chat and right. keep going, right? Exactly, exactly. And and they do, you know, these people have become like family to me. Like our kids, you know, go play, like you bring them to the gym and they all like play outside on the playground while we're in the gym and we could go to each other's birthday parties and things like that. So it's, it's really, it's nice. 
So take me through that gym that you were training at. Was it a commercial style gym and you just were fortunate enough that there happened to be people who were powerlifters and a deadlift bar there? Um, it, well, it wasn't a deadlift bar. It was like a, and it's funny because the commercial, so the commercial gym that I train at now bought all the equipment from that initial, that initial gym is not open anymore, but the gym I'm at now, they bought all their equipment and they still have the same crappy uh, stiff bars with no knurling on them that I learned on. Um, so it's always a, a treat to be able to pull on an actual deadlift bar. Like my, the gym that I train at my buddy's garage, we have a Kabuki bar that we bring to like our meets and that I'll take like my openers on, like when I'm getting ready to compete. And then we have like another deadlift bar. So it's nice to actually have a place with powerlifting equipment. Um, but yeah, it was just, just happened to be this acquaintance of mine who had been in powerlifting for probably a decade himself. He was just like, why don't you come off that stupid treadmill and, and pick this up. And I just trained on like, I got my start on like pretty, pretty crappy equipment. And even still, like just at my friend's house, we have um, like, we have like a Texas bar, Texas squat bar. We've got a bench bar. That's like an F8 um, bar. We have the Kabuki bar, but it's real. it's just a garage. It's actually, it used to be a chicken coop, I think. Oh, <laughs> and now it's got, it's got a monolift in it that we're, we're afraid that if we, if you sneeze on it, it might, it might uh, break. So it needs, it needs a little TLC, but um, it's, it's really just whatever I have access to is what I use. There's not really, there's not a gym like yours around here. Right. I wish there there were the closest one is in Albany, the, the capital, which is like probably 45 minutes away from me. So well, it's funny because you'd think being Miami, being a one of the biggest cities that there'd be tons and tons of powerlifting, tons and tons of competition. There's not when uh, I, I I started my powerlifting club when I was working at a CrossFit gym in 2014. And it was in the corner of a super uh, rusty, crappy, hot swamp crossfit gym with just rusted bars like those adjustable benches or what we were benching on and rusty 45 pound plates and there was powerlifting was you know big in florida but you know 2014 2015 it was as big as it what it was and then by 2017 powerlifting continuing growing the CrossFit gym I was at didn't want to invest anything in the powerlifting club. Nothing was changing. It was the same stuff, but we trained on that for years and years and years. And I took teams. There's one, there's one year I've talked about on the podcast here with the, with some of the guys from Florida who remember that back in 2016, I took a team of like 32 people to a local meet, like a bunch of CrossFitters, different people and stuff. And it wasn't until 2017 when I started working for hybrid performance method that like the first powerlifting gym opened in Miami. And besides yeah. that gym that was around for years, then I was the second powerlifting gym in Miami. It's so weird because, you know, a lot of L.A. Uh, main areas in New York and stuff, it's super, super popular, but it's not very popular here. But it gives me a good uh, a good kind of stranglehold on the market. But regardless, those times, 2015, 2016, and then even a lot of people now in more rural areas, younger kids nowadays are so damn spoiled. You know, with all their fancy, fancy shit. 
I and know. The kids in my gym are divas, and it's funny because I still have some of my same athletes from eight, nine, ten years ago that I trained at that first CrossFit gym, and they know how to count the blessings. They know how to be, oh, okay, the older squat bar is available. I'll be okay. It's not the brand new one <laughs> Alex just bought 36 hours ago, you know, but I, I like being able to spoil my people, but it's different. It's, di- it's a different generation now. We have a, um, at my friend's house in the garage gym, we have a couple of guys that do, um, like welding. And so we have like the craziest makeshift like shit in there. Like we have a, you know, like a belt squat machine, of course. Right. Which I would love to have an actual one. Well, we have like this apparatus that like clips onto the power rack yeah, pin, and you have to like put, um, pieces of wood under it to like hold it oh, up yeah. and like straddle it and then kick the wood out. And like, like, that's the kind of stuff that, that we train on in the, in, in the garage gym. And then I look at like, of course, you know, um, um, like Haley, Haley Hill. Yeah, of course. Right? Yes. I love, I love her. She's, she's so awesome in her gym. I watch her, like the equipment come in that she has delivered, like in her stories. And I'm like salivating. Cause like, I want, I'm like, I want access to that thing. Like it's, it's, it's cool because it um it makes it more appealing i think to like this next generation and they have like the access to all this really cool equipment but i also kind of think it's cool like where you got your start on like rusty n- not nice equipment like you can kind of like it both can work it, yeah. it you can do this sport no matter what access what equipment you have access to which is part of why it's it's cool i think Well, it also that comes down to the mindset of it. You know, are you going to let yourself be so distracted and so bothered if everything is not perfectly aligned, the stars exactly how you want them so that on competition day, it's identical and this, that and the other or the philosophy that we used to have, which is like you probably now still have and you don't hear about because of how popular powerlifting it is and how much there's so much accessibility. It's 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 a rare occurrence still for someone to be still training on those same, uh, you know, type of stuff. But what it used to be back in the day where it's like, you know, OK, well, I'm training on this piece of shit bench and, you know, these bars when I go to fucking competition holy fuck, I'm adding 150 pounds to my bench. That, you know that's I mean? exactly it. That's exactly it. How you, that's how you have to have to look at it. Um, especially with the bench, because the commercial gym that I'm at the, all the benches, dude, like there's, there's one Thompson fat pad bench there, which would be like the decent bench, but it's old. So it's like, I don't know. There must be like one really big guy. That's like cockeyed on there because like the one side of it like sags and you're like like I'm little so I like roll off it I'm like trying to like I have to like kayak it up because I'm like this side is like falling it's ridiculous did you um compete in um CrossFit I did I did one CrossFit competition three weeks before a powerlifting my first powerlifting competition which was in 2015 or early 2016 can can you do a uh, um a muscle up? I the funny thing is I was a, I learned how to do muscle ups a couple years after that when I was fully just into powerlifting. I had I, I last time I tried one I think it was like three years ago and I still had it. I could still do it. Can you realize that is so impressive to me because I can do a million pull ups. I can do dips for days, but I like, I'm not coordinated back to member. I told you I'm not athletic. It's a lot of his coordination. Oh, I, I can hardly walk straight. Okay. I can't bring I am, the two together. Like so I, I was good at like I'm good at upper body based stuff, and I since I taught CrossFit for years, I was I taught muscle ups 
for a very long time before then I could even do them myself. It was funny because one day I started, I was dating this chick who was like super into CrossFit. She like, oh, you have? I was like, oh, fuck, I can't. Do, I don't know how to do them. And she taught me how to do them on the rings. I did them on the rings first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like before I did them on a bar. Then I did them on a bar. But um, it's it's a very it's very it's very technical, very very technical. But anything lower body related technical, like I said, I could hardly freaking walk straight. I got Bambi legs. I'm I'm a bench guy. I'm an upper body guy. That's it. Yeah, I I tried to learn. I I had a brief. Um, there was like a, a about a year that I would go to like a CrossFit gym, um, just for something different. But in my in the early days, I could never do it now. Um, because I can't do both. I have to do powerlifting, and I just I try to like make sure I get my steps in. That's like my cardio. I walk like I got a Fitbit. I'm like, oh my god, I walk a lot, like twenty thousand to thirty thousand steps a day. I like never stop moving. That is um, insane. I know, but I it, I so I teach, but then I like I'm also, for example, an adjunct professor, and like in my lecture hall, like the whole time I teach, I'm like walk up and down the stairs. I like never stop moving. I, I'm I I said to myself one day, I'm like, I wonder if this is like distracting <laughs> to the people that I'm teaching that I'm like walking around the whole time. But um, I wanted to always do a muscle up. And I, oh, I had this other goal. I wanted to be able to walk on my hands. Can you do that? That, no. I can do a handstand up against the wall and stuff. My my wife, when I met my wife at the gym that I was working at, she had done CrossFit and then had a surgery. Coming back from her surgery, started powerlifting, and then that's how our love story blossomed. And she competed with me in powerlifting, and we competed on and off until 2018, 2019. That was the last time I think both her and I competed. Um, but then she's now back to her CrossFit roots for the last like three years. Like she's the only crazy motherfucker in my mainly powerlifting gym who is walk doing handstand walks across the gym, across the turf, you know, literally like three months postpartum. She was back to doing that snatching overhead, squatting, all that crazy shit. That's so impressive. That was like, that was a goal of mine. I'm the same as you though. I can do it like against a wall. It's the coordination. I just can't. Well, I'll tell you this. It's powerlifting is so fucking easy in the grand scheme of things. So it's like true. I said, I started that powerlifting club in pretty much 2014 because I started powerlifting myself because I was like, holy fuck, I'm extremely unathletic. I started working out in 2012 as a means to get sober when I was 19 <clears throat> and all that CrossFit shit. I was like, I can't fucking do this. I was a string bean, you know, couldn't, couldn't lift anything. I was like, I need to get big. I need to put on some size, started powerlifting, started the powerlifting club to offer something different in the gym. But through all those years with my club, I still was coaching CrossFit and we actually had a very high level CrossFit team that went to the CrossFit games in 2016. And so I was able to go to the CrossFit games as an assistant coach because I wrote all their strength work. We had all of our different coaches had different elements. I wrote the powerlifting. We had a different coach writing the weightlifting. We had a different coach writing the gymnastics and the amount of work that CrossFitters do. Oh, it's I've talked about this a couple of times in the podcast, but these kids, people don't understand. You know, oh, if you, even if you've done CrossFit yourself, like until you see like the actual elite level uh, uh, CrossFitters, it's insane. Oh, it's so it's so impressive. It's so it's it's crazy impressive. I like look at the the women that do it and just like they're like the meat that's on their back and their shoulders, like their traps from doing all of that overhead movement and all that pulling up movement. It's like they're they're they are the peak of of athleticism. Super impressive. 
They're specimens. Their physiques, especially the women in the CrossFit side of things, the men, they have to stay a little bit smaller, a little shorter stature. Like you don't really look at them and be like, oh, that guy can step on a bodybuilding stage and go pro. But you look at the women and you're like, holy shit, they have more muscle mass on them than IFBB pro women for the most. Oh, yeah. It's 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 insane. And you wouldn't think that they would be able to retain that kind of size with like all of the the like cardiovascular activity that they have to do. That's what ended up getting me was like when I was doing CrossFit briefly, I can't separate the power lifter in me from being a CrossFitter because you know how the, they'll, the workouts are very often based on like a percentage. Like I remember this one workout I had to do, it was, we were deadlifting. So we would deadlift and then we would have to do um, pull-ups and then kettlebell swings. And it was like this little circuit. We had to do 10 rounds and the percentages for the deadlift were like, it was like ranging in from 80% to 103% was like the last round. And when like people that take a CrossFit class, let's say that there's another 130 pound female, her 80% might be 220, right? And, but for her body, what could she potentially do? Like, what's the most that a 130 pound body can withstand? You know, at that point in time, I was dead. Like my 80% was like, I think four, like 400. So I was like dead by round five and everybody else was able to still do it. But I couldn't, I couldn't not do my actual 80, 85%. Like I refused to like take the power lifter in me and like, like shut her up for a second and just try to go lighter on the CrossFit. Like, that's my problem. Like I have to go 110% or like, I don't want to, I don't want to do it. And then I did, I completed that workout. I about died. And then we had to run at the end. And like you, I've heard about people experiencing like CNS fatigue, you yep. know, that doesn't really happen to me, you know, very often. I don't know. Maybe there's something wrong with me. I don't know. But after that workout, like the next day I had trouble, like, putting sentences together. Like I definitely had something going on after that workout. So I'm just like too much of a power lifter at this point to be able to be a successful CrossFitter, if that makes sense. But I respect the hell out of it. And I wish that I, maybe that's what I'll do after, you know, I'm done powerlifting. I was about to say, don't, don't put that card off the table because you have like the frame that you would be, such a good crossfitter the the height the width like you would you you'd be able to move really well in gymnastics and all that but it's a matter of learning those skills and some people it's like because we had so many people coming in you know and 99 percent of people were the general population people taking our just standard crossfit classes but then we also had a competitor's class and a competitor's program which 90 percent of crossfit gyms don't have you know, because you're the the one per tiny percent of the people who are going to go to a regionals or go to a games or whatever it is. Most gyms aren't going to market to those people anyway, because it's just such a small amount of people. They're not going to have that offering. So like in order for you to actually train like a CrossFitter to try to compete at a high level and go to the CrossFit games, you're not going and just stepping into your one hour class and that's your whole workout for the day. The way that our, our competitive uh, CrossFitters workouts are structured a lot of them at the a lot of them were at the gym four to five hours a day. They'd have a, they'd have a morning session, which would be their strength work, essentially almost like a full powerlifting workout. What an entire powerlifter would do, they would do that, and that was just only one quarter or one fifth of their workout. 
Then they do gymnastic skill work. Then they do some accessories and they'd rest and have a meal. Then they'd come back and then they would do more gymnastics works and Olympic weightlifting work. Then with like one small uh, cardio workout. Then later on again in the afternoon, then they had their longer CrossFit, uh, longer CrossFit workout plus accessories. It's it's insane. If you see how it on paper, and most, is that? How, how many days a week? You usually at least five, and they'd have like a sixth, like just like longer CrossFit day, active active rest day, longer circuits. It was if you look at it on paper, it's absolute insanity. Like what the best of the best CrossFitters have to do, and it's like. If you look at a lot of professional athletes, look at a football player, look at this and the other, what they have to do is, is fucking grueling like that. Also, you know, powerlifting, we have it, we have it pretty fucking easy. We have it pretty fucking easy, but CrossFit is, it's, it's something, it was a world that I was so dove into, so involved with, and it was really cool to be able to do it side by side along with powerlifting and grow my powerlifting club. But I always thought and I always knew, and I talked about this a lot on this podcast, that when that was my, you know, my career working at that gym for all those years, you know, building my club, I was doing personal training there also. And I'm like, man, how much longevity and how much like, you know, how long will this be relevant enough that I can continue making a decent living teaching these general population people and all these people who come in for this word CrossFit. And I always fucking knew there was like a big expiration tag on it. Cause if, if you compare it now to what it was in 2017, 2018, it's, it's nothing. Do you it's think that nothing. those, do you think that those people have like made the shift like over into powerlifting or is there some other athletic? Um, the, the, a there? large majority. Cause the main market of the people who were paying the price tag of 150 to $200 a month to go to CrossFit and take this group class were just normal people who wanted to come after work and go do a workout that kept them in general shape, you know? Yeah. Now they have so many fucking other options. They have these orange series. You have these F 45s. They have all these different similar style things that it's so, 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 so saturated. They don't hear the word CrossFit anymore. They hear whatever the new fad is of these workout stations and these quick, you're in and out 45 minutes, you go home and you make dinner for your kids. That was the majority market of people for CrossFit. Now, powerlifting, it's so easy to access. Anyone can do it. The amount of young people that we have coming up, the majority of my members, young 17, 18 year old kids, 16 year old kids, it's just became more and more of a common word for people to hear. And oh, yeah, so totally. easy for them to start doing so fucking easy. It's like it's not going anywhere. Uh, I agree. I agree. And I actually think it's kind of exciting how many young people are are into it. I, I do wish that they would um, like. <laughs> So many of them jump into it like to they're they're like gung ho about trying to max out like they they don't they don't have coaches or they have a coach that maybe has been powerlifting for a year. And so they're doing things that are like kind of dangerous, if for lack of a better word, like they're they're doing it's like too much too soon. Like they want to be John Hack like now. Yeah, for sure. They're They're not like taking the time to you know, build that foundation. They're like, they're going hard right out of the gate. That's not to say that they couldn't compete. I mean, I only had, I, I did my first competition. I had been lifting for two months. <laughs> like I just wanted to jump in and try it. You know um, I just wish that they would take the time to 
uh, get that education piece in there, whether it's from a personal trainer or having a, a coach that actually knows their stuff or whatever. But because um, I see a lot of uh, oh, my God, did you see that video that was going around the other day of that kid dumping the uh, the squat? It was like some it was like a state record. It was this this he's just a little guy. Okay. He had to he had to have been like maybe a 148 or a 132, but he had like six. 80 something on his back. He like walks out with it. He doesn't even try to take it. It just dumps and he falls forward and like passes out. Did you see that? I did not. No, I'll have to find it and send it to you. But like that, like I see like shit like that at the commercial gym. <laughs> like, Oh yeah. It like, you know, take and a- and another, my, my other <clears throat> with the younger kids, like I, I'd say this, I love it because it gives me so much job certainty it gives my yeah, business yeah. so much business uh you know because beside beyond just the ghost clash i run you know six other just regular local usapl meets because all the young kids young kids they want to do the usapl yep um my gripe with a lot of those kids and i've talked about this here before and i say this to them is too many of them look like fucking gumby you know, because they're all just they just dive, like you said, dive so head first into powerlifting, want to be like, you know, whoever the hell it is and squat bench, deadlift, squat bench, deadlift till they fucking puke, you know, and it's half the members at my gym. I never see any of them because my gym is split into two sides. Powerlifting paradise, right? Six combos, two monos, like beautiful powerlifting side. And then my bodybuilding side where I've hand selected, I have. 38 different machines, all old, most of them old school, discontinued, the best bodybuilding machines ever made. And those kids never touch them, you know, and they, they don't, they hardly have a lick of muscle mass on them. And that's where I think there's also a big disconnect with, you know, with some of those people and also creating longevity long-term on their body. But I mean, all we, all we could do is hope and, and try to educate, you know? Oh, and another thing that they're always, we just, my, my team just threw a, a powerlifting meet a couple weekends ago. I was judging that day. Another thing that the, that a lot of the young kids, I hate to say kids, but young adults, whatever, they're always cutting. Like, oh yeah. I'm like, why are you cu- cutting for what? Are you trying to break a, a record? Are you trying to move your way up? Like the ranking? Like, what are you cut? What are you cutting for? This is your first meet. Like it's don't cut, eat and lift. That's it. Like right now, just have fun. Yeah. That's always been my philosophy. All my athletes listening, anyone who knows, I've never allowed any of my athletes to cut weight, any of them, unless they are an elite level lifter doing it for a specific purpose. But there's, you know, five other coaches who are my friends in my gym. You know, anyone can coach. You can have your athletes do whatever you want. And all those kids and USAPL, two hour weigh-ins, you know, these kids literally like not even close to qualifying for raw nationals. Cause it's not that easy to qualify for raw nationals in USAPL and all of them cutting and showing up to my gym, looking like crap. And I, I, I tend to troll them all, but I mean, here, here we are, you know, what do you think of the two hour weigh-in? I think I like it. I see a lot. I, I've thought about for years running a pro level meet with a two hour weigh in. And lately I've been seeing a ton more people making posts about it and talking about it and talking about the possibility of it. Um, and I'd like to, I'd like to see it on the untested side. Cause I do I actually, agree. I, I kind of like it too. I like the idea. I've never done it obviously, but I, I kind of like it. The, there's the only meets that have ever done it on the untested side of things have all been overseas. 
like Pro Raw over in Australia. One of their competitions every year is done with a two-hour weigh-in, but with all specialty bars. And then you have the uh, ABS Pro in Ireland, which is two-hour weigh-in with all stiff bar. And historically, not a lot of Americans or not a lot of the high-level lifters have gone over and ever done any of those. But it would be interesting to see how things would change. And it's just why it more and more, I think, becomes a conversation is because if you look at powerlifting when we started um, and we looked at all the high-level people, almost all the people, if you thought of who's at the top of powerlifting, they were an untested lifter. If you thought about who's at the top of any weight class ranking, they were an untested lifter. If you looked at who was an all-time world record holder, they were an untested lifter. So it was done in a 24-hour weigh-in. Now, the tested lifters, the USAPL, the IPF, they are, first of all, the ones that all these new young kids are looking up to, right, and staring at. And they are exceeding what historically all these legends have done in a 24-hour weigh-in, you know, the deadlift bar untested. And now they're all doing this with two-hour weigh-ins, et cetera. So now it starts becoming more and more of a conversation because people are like, look, all these people are overtaking you or they're neck and neck with you, whoever it is in weight classes and rankings and all-time world records. So why don't we see these other guys let you be you know, an untested lifter, but let's see how you perform in that same thing. So it'd be cool. I, I have a feeling in the next year, whether I do it myself or whether, whether you know someone else does, I think we'll see a pro-level meet with a two-hour weigh-in and see how people respond to it. I like it, but I'm also a lifter that like, I live right around my weight class. Like I walk around somewhere between like 129 and like 135. You know what I mean? Like I would, I think uh, like, you know, um, you know, Brittany, um, bulls, I think yeah, is of course. Like, yeah. yeah. She um, competed the last two ghost flashes. She's amazing. And she's just, she walks around with just, she is just a muscle. She's muscle. Yeah, she's a ball of it, muscle. And it's she just is. so, it's so impressive. She's so impressive to me. And the fact that she cuts, she cuts from like 150. Yeah. One, her weight yeah. cut is the most impressive weight cut I've ever seen anybody do ever. And, you know, I'm sure it's difficult for her. She would ne- doesn't let on. Like she just handles it like a fucking boss and and rocks the house but like i i could n- i could never if i weighed 150 pounds i would be a 148 i couldn't right. i couldn't i couldn't do it she's a better woman than i am i, <laughs> I gotta it'll live be, near my weight class it will be it will be interesting to see how and when that day comes about but really quick i want to jump back in really quick and jump along the chronological history of you competing in powerlifting all right. So you, your first competition was in 2015. You started competing pretty frequently, right? On a local level. You, you said you were a 114, right? Yep. Lifter to start out with. So once you started, like you said, you, you signed up for that first push-pull competition. You dove headfirst in, all into powerlifting, you know, not worrying about running, not worrying about anything else. Talk to me about like those first two, three years of powerlifting getting stronger, getting stronger. And at what point did you start rising to an elite level and you thought and all time world records, you know, became on your mind? So um, I just I mean, I kept doing it just because I I just liked it. I just thought it was fun. Um, I like I like being at a powerlifting meet. Like I have some friends that they like they like powerlifting. They like competing, but they're like, oh, I got to go. The meets, they take so long. But 
And do they take a little bit long sometimes? Sure. But like, I like that. I love talking to people between uh, my attempts. I like watching other people. I like the energy. I just love the environment. So for me, um, I, I stayed with it just because I mean, I, I enjoyed it and I like working in the gym. I like working out. I like learning about it. I liked seeing my body change. I liked that my, um, relationship with eating changed because I told you when I started running, it was to like, I was running away from being fat. Like that's why I ran to not gain weight. And I probably had an unhealthy relationship with food. Like I was the kind of person that if I didn't run that day, I would be like, oh, I can't eat as much today because I didn't run, you know? And like, that's, that's a terrible way to think. Right. Um, so like now I eat to perform. I mean, I love eating. I have, I eat more than I did back when I was a runner and I get to see what it does for me. Um, I started thinking that I remember, I'll never forget. I learned what an all-time world record was. I, I would train on Mondays. I would drive all the way to Syracuse on Mondays and I would train with, um, at blood iron barbell with Rita West, who is a, uh, an all-time world record holding equipped lifter. Um, and she had, she, that's a powerlifting gym, it, but it's in Syracuse. So you got to try, I had to travel to get there. And there were a couple other girls in her gym, um, Allison Hine, Becky Parati, like I would get to train with them. Um, they were, they're good, great powerlifters too. Um, and it was cool to just be, this was before I was in the, with the team that I'm with now. I was kind of like between, I didn't want to be at the commercial gym anymore. Like I wanted to be on better equipment, but there really wasn't anywhere to do it. So, um, you know, she invited me to come out there with them and I would do that on, on Mondays. Um, and I remember learning what an all, somebody mentioned an all-time world record. And I was like, what is that? I didn't even know what that was because I knew what world records were. Like there was like a, you know, uh, world records within different federations. So like I knew what those were and I maybe even had, I think I had one, I think I had an all-time world record or a, I think I had like an IPA world record or something like that, but I didn't know the difference between that and an all-time. I don't know if open powerlifting was a thing then it might've been, but I didn't know what it was. And when I heard what an all-time world record was, I'm like, I want one of those. <laughs> I want an all-time world record in the deadlift. I want, I'm going to have one. And, um, people were like, you're crazy. You're not going to, you're not going to have an all-time world record. And I was like, bet, like I will have an all-time world record and I'm going to work really hard to get one. And, um, when I competed at a meet, my last, my last, uh, meet in a one twenty three class, um, I squatted, I think three eighty five, benched like one around one, one eighty five or one ninety, And I pulled four forty at one twenty three, And I was like, all right, I think I, I think I'm, I think this is like, this is it. Like, I'm going to get serious about this. I'm taking that record for sure. So I just set bench benchmarks. I was going to pull 500. And then I, I'll never forget. There was a, I was supposed to compete. The world record was 501. I pulled 500, uh, out of me. And actually it, it was, this was the craziest thing. Um, I had blown out my adductor tendon in 2020, um, I went skiing, which I have no business doing, uh, but that's all there is to do here in the winter. Um, I went skiing, I hurt myself. And then I was, uh, November, 2020, I was squatting and my groin tendon came off my pelvis in the squat, in the hole. Yeah, it was, it was not good. I had to have surgery. They did a button procedure, right? So they drilled a hole in my pelvis, yanked the tendon through. Um, that was November 27th, 2020, March 2021, 
I competed and that's where I pulled my first 500 at that meet. So I bust my ass through PT, the, all those three, those four, three, four months. I worked so hard, kept working my back. Even when I, I did, my bench did go up a lot in that period of time. Cause I did a lot of Larson pressing. Right. Um, God was like, take this injury because your bench sucks and you need to fix it. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I I was going to compete in June to pull uh, five. I was going to pull 505. I'm like, I can definitely take that world record. And then it got bumped up to like 518 out of nowhere. And I'm like, well, this sucks. <laughs> so I took 520. I don't know how many times I took 520. I would do meets just so I could, I like, squat not that heavy bench not that heavy and try to pull 520 and i miss it and i miss it and then finally the last december i got the the 525 and it and i and i did it and that's the, that's what i set out to do i got serious after that last 123 meet and i'm like i'm gonna get an all-time record i want one of those i want one and i worked hard and and it and it happened I and still then, then you went and broke it again shortly after that yep yep by by five pounds and i um i regret not taking my squats that day were moving really well, which is, which is strange for me. Cause I'm, I, I'm a terrible squatter, especially after that injury. Um, I had a ton of atrophy in my leg from it. So my quads were like different size. I'm definitely, I definitely don't have a future in bodybuilding cause I'm asymmetrical as hell, <laughs> like everything, like it's, it's a problem. But um, I was having a really good day that day squatting and I kind of wish I squatted a little bit more, but um, it all worked out because I got to take the deadlift for another a, a good ride that day. So, and that was that. I mean, that was your best performance at that meet. You have a well, you broke into the 600 dots. Not only did you break into it, you dove into it, right? With a 623 dots. That video, I think it's funny because you had already broken the all-time world record. You had broken it on calibrated plates, but that video went super viral. I remember even I commented on it and it was nothing to discredit you, but it was just, to me, it was so shocking because powerlifting and federations have grown so much. But then of course, like you said, you're kind of middle of nowhere, New York, whatever it is, some places. And we, I've talked about this with other guests as far as countries, but it's not just countries. It's also regions and areas that are like behind the times in certain things, you know, yeah. and for the federation to still be using these big hundred pound metal plates. Everyone was like, wait, what the fuck? You know, yeah, I think like I, I didn't really, I had never really thought about something like that before. Like it never really crossed my mind because the thing, well, going back to the first thing that you said in here, like, I mean, I do, I work like I'm a teach high school teacher. Um, we actually have re a finals week this week. We, we have a middle of the year finals week. So I actually don't have, I don't teach classes today. I just have to proctor exams and grade things. So this is fine for today, but like I'm a full-time science teacher um, chemistry. I adjunct at two colleges. Actually, my spring semester starts tonight. I have class at 4 p.m. at a college. Um, I do other things like I work for the teacher center. So I teach teachers like I work a lot. I actually even clean a house, which a lot of, a lot of people don't know that. Um, and then I have a you know, I have a son and I like to make sure that I spend a ton of time with him, take him to do all kinds of things. And um, like I'm a super, super involved parent. I mean, he does his own, he takes piano lessons. He goes to ski school. He plays soccer. He's a really good soccer player. I'm like, he, he did not get he got some good genes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. He will. He's, he's way more coordinated than I am. Yes. Um, so like for me to be able to, cause like after that video, 
um, you know, a lot of the the thing was like, oh, well, she only does backyard meets. And I, like, I had never thought uh, it wasn't like I was signing up for meets because I felt like I had an advantage right. because they were back backyard. I just did what was accessible to me. Like, is it a weekend that I can that I don't because my son goes with his dad um, one one weekend a month and then there's like a half weekend a month that he goes. So like, you know, when he especially when he was littler. Now I'll bring him to a meet because he's 10, he's going to be 10 next week. So he can come to a meet and like, I'll have him bring some stuff and he'll play and have snacks. Now he watches and cheers and he's, but when he was littler, like I couldn't, what was he going to do? No offense to your, you know, your competition. I, I, it's wonderful. I can't wait to come, but like, I wasn't going to fly my six-year-old down to Miami with me and make him sit at, or risk him running around. Do you know what I mean? Like I did, I did what was possible for me to do. It wasn't, I've never avoided. It's not like, like, Oh, I can't do, um, you know, like the hybrid or the ghost clash because I'm afraid to do it. It was always like logistics. What can I do with the time that I have? What can I afford? I mean, at the end of the day, I'm, I mean, I work multiple jobs, but I work multiple jobs because not one of them pays what I would like it to, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, like I competed last, um, last weekend, I had a good, pretty good meet. I did get a little hurt, but I think I'm going to be okay. Um, hopefully I, but I won, like I wanted to go there to win. So I would have money to come to your meet. Like that's what that meet was for. So like, I got that big check <laughs> and, and that's my travel money for Miami. So it was never like me avoiding competition or, getting on a bigger stage or being afraid. Like I'm excited. Like I can't wait to meet some people that I look up to or who I'm friends with. Like, like, like Haley, like she and I talk all the time on social media. I'm all like, you know, I'm always, you know, I'll ask her questions or just check in with her. Same with Brittany. I love both those girls. Like I can't wait to meet them in person. Like I'm not afraid of competition. Like I, I think it's fun, but I always just did what I thought. Now, when it comes to the, the plates. That's another thing. Like I never even thought, like, I actually thought it was interesting. The people that were like, um, oh, they're pound plates, not kilo plates. And I'm like, well, they still weigh the same. <laughs> like, right. Kilograms don't weigh more than pounds. Um, but I don't, I, I don't get into it with people like in the comments. I mean, did it, uh, does that kind of thing affect a person? Of course it does. Like you just did this really cool thing. And then you know, people say things that kind of take away from it, but, um, uh, I'm coming to your meet because I'm going to get on a, I'm going to get on a big stage at least one time in my, in my life. You know what I mean? And I'm excited about it. And I think timing is everything and how things can line up and build into something. I think the time, the timing couldn't be better. You know, like those kind of things can serve as fuel. You had, you already had backing as well. Cause you're like, you know what? Well, I already held the all time world record on your precious uh, calibrated pound plates. Right. Yes. Cause they were the rogue pound calibrated. Um so it's like you have backing there. It's accomplishments that no one can take away from you. But also those accomplishments gave some eyes on you, right? So people know they need to watch out for competitions. And those competitions have helped you climb up those ranks to get to the point where you're not flying all the way to Miami as someone who's ranked number six, seventh, or eighth, you know, where you're barely being an afterthought. 
you're someone who's coming in ranked amongst one of the top women in raps. You know, anything can happen on any day. And to come out in the top three at, you know, the, one of the biggest meets ever is, 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 is the time to come. You know, that's the time to travel. You know, some people, they have the luxury where they might have the finances and, and the flexibility where they can come to every single Ghost Clash knowing that they are going to be finishing in the bottom half of the entire meet, you know, but for other people, it's like you want to choose and you want to strategize and timing is everything. So I I think the timing couldn't be better. Your recent performances and where your strength is and where you've culminated over your last couple of years of climbing the ranks are in the perfect position. And I'm, I'm exuded, super excited to have you. I'm super excited to see what you can do. Thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to it too. just be just being there for me is uh i consider that an accomplishment the just the the invite alone uh was very it meant a lot to me so thank you thanks for the opportunity awesome well miami's fun miami's a party 11 weeks away i cannot wait to meet you in person is your son coming down with you no and unfortunately he's not gonna i would i would like to have brought him but i'm gonna you know for this first one you want to be lasered in yeah 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 for sure. Awesome. Well, let everyone know where they can find you on social media, follow along leading into the meet and thanks for hopping on. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I, like, do you mean like I'm on Instagram? Is that what you yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm on, <laughs> on Instagram. I'm just Boone's mom, Boone's underscore mom. Um, that's my only, that's the only social media I have. Or, or Facebook. but I love it. I love it. Well, thank <laughs> you so much for hopping on, Jen. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the WRPF podcast. Thank you so much.